you just want to ask yourself these two questions. Am I having fun? Do I want to see this person again? That is it. Nobody teaches us how to date. You yeah. know, we're just winging it. I'll send you the, I'll send yeah, you the I'm, I'm, I'm going to need that. <laughs> okay, great. You guys like the same things. You have the same everything. Um, and guess what? Your sex life is probably going to be pretty barren. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> I ain't trying to get between you. Do you think affirmations are helpful? So if you just have an affirmation of, say, like, you feel unworthy of love and suddenly you just, like, say the opposite, like, I, you know, I'm worthy of love. And, like, this is what I mean by, like, the harm of Instagram. There's actually research that shows that that can do more damage because your brain will inherently reject whatever it's not true. And so instead of, like, just an affirmation, what you want to do is you want to look at what is, like, um, an unhelpful belief that you currently have. So maybe it's like, oh, um, I'm too old to find love. And so you don't want to be like, I can find love at any age because it's not true. Like you don't believe it's not going to work. But you want to find an updated belief that's a little bit more healthy and a little bit more helpful. So in that case, it could be, um, I am open to the idea that I can find a suitable connection regardless of my age. And, and that one is, I'm just open to the idea. Yeah, yeah I, I can I can do that. So something that your brain can process as being feasible. Yes, and what you do is once you kind of create that updated belief, you want to practice it like every single day for like 30 days and you want to start looking for examples of it being true. And so this is where like the science of manifesting happens. Like there's all this like, just manifest. Like, well, okay, this is actually what's happening. There's a part of your brain called the reticular activating system, the RAS. And basically its job is to filter out the billion bits of information that's coming into your brain at any time and focus on on what actually is going to help you with your goals or what supports your existing beliefs. And so if you have that updated belief, what's going to happen is it's going to start filtering out those ones that aren't helping that. And then you'll notice like, oh, my friend Miranda, she's 50 and she just, you know, got married again. Interesting. You start to notice those things. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely have been noticing that with a lot of my friends who found love in their like late 30s and so I'm just like this is not like obviously that's possible totally you know and and I do notice it with friends like sometimes like a few girls in the friend group find someone all at once and then like the rest of them find someone I've been noticing like Mm. weird synchronicities like that but it's probably because that shifts their belief system that there's you know, different kinds of love out there for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's been research too on like marriage and how like um, when one person gets married, especially like within a family, it's like within a few years, it starts to like almost spread, right? Like we really are influenced by our peers, Um, even like people who cheat. Like if you hang around with a lot of people who cheat, suddenly like that becomes a lot more acceptable to you. Yeah, and it'll look appealing because it's like they're getting this rush from it and you're like, oh, well, maybe I could feel that. Same thing with drugs. Drugs, it impacts your weight, it impacts your happiness. Who you surround yourself with on a regular basis is really wiring your brain. How do you choose who to, sur- who to surround yourself with? Like, are, are there things that you look for or is it just like feelings that you have when you're with people? I used to be very cutthroat about cutting people out of my life and I feel like that was a defense mechanism. Um, and I actually have some regret on how I treated 
some people where I'm like, oh my God, you're so negative or you're so whatever the neuroses was. And I just kind of cut them. And now I feel like I, I'm in a place where I can tolerate people's stuff a lot more. Um, but a way I check in is I look at what, what feeds me energy, what grounds my energy and what takes my energy. Mm. And that's really a good starting point. Like I've, I've developed a really healthy relationship with my intuition so I can just trust that now. Yeah. Yeah. Sharpening your intuition really works wonders. It's amazing. It really <laughs> works wonders. And it's crazy because as we grow up, a lot of us are start to doubt our intuition. Mm. And, you know, whether that happens because of the environment that we're in or people who are you know, gaslighting what what you feel or whatever it is. Um, it's something that I feel like needs to be taught. Uh, Chris Voss helped me with that, actually, oh, wow. where he's like a woman's intuition is the strongest, you know, mm. stronger than a man's. Like they just know intuitively. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you need to check in with how you feel regularly and you'll start to see like you have the answers. Yeah. If you have a gut feeling about someone, trust that, mm. you know, and. Sometimes it's like, it's hard to even know, like, is that my intuition or my fear? And right. so just to like check in about how you feel will help you realize what your like what your intuition is saying versus like all the things that you're scared of. Yeah. So that's like a, a distinction that I learned to make mm -hmm. just from like learning about intuition, sharpening. I found a, like a good checkpoint with in, is it intuition or is it fear or my old stuff is. Mm. Intuition tends, at least for me, to be a lot more calm. And fear is usually, is very like anxious and I find my brain spinning. Mm, there's like okay. a difference between like, there's an, a sense of knowing in my body versus like, uh, I don't know, and then maybe this, maybe that, yeah. Yeah, the other thing is I keep, since you brought a body, I keep hearing between like the mind-body connection. Mm. Um, what are ways to like, sharpen or deepen that because yoga I feel like is one mm -hmm. like what else is there that we can do to sort of connect to our bodies more um so I think dance is really good it really helps you build a relationship also with your sensuality and playfulness and I think a lot of us especially high achieving people we've almost cut off the side of uh, ourselves that is rooted in play and it's very important um Breathing, um, whether it's taking breath work, um, is also super helpful. And also, like, the smallest thing. I work with a lot of people who hate their body. And it's, it's a small thing where, like, even, like, taking five minutes after a bath and just putting lotion all over your body and just feeling it and even looking at yourself in the mirror. And maybe the very first step is to... When the thought comes out of, oh, I'm so fat, or I hate this, to just not vocalize it and not put energy behind the words. Maybe you still have the thought, and maybe hopefully you start to nurture that relationship a little bit. And it's something I used to do every time I saw a photo, I'd be like, oh, I hate this, I hate that. And my very first step was just to not say it out loud. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. Women struggle with that a lot. What about play? Because you mentioned it's very hard for overachievers to tap into that. So how, how do you 
get back to like your your playfulness? Um, let's see. I guess like there's finding things that you can do that aren't to be monetized, <laughs> right? Like for me, it's doodling or dancing. Um, I've like started doing pottery or like cooking, like finding something else that you can get like really passionate and even obsessed about. Um, finding friends who evoke that out of you. Um, that's also super helpful. Like if you're around a lot of to people who are totally in their head, like you're probably gonna stay up there constantly too. And maybe one of your goals is to, like I want to like invest in friends that maybe we're not gonna have a conversation about crypto and the economy <laughs> and politics, but like we can go and hang out and like sing and dance and like that's, such a value. Yeah, or like do karaoke or yeah. go rollerblading or like have a dance night or whatever. Yeah, that's, yeah, you gotta invest in that too because not everything needs to be monetized. That's, <laughs> that's a, a problem for me because I'm, I'm like in this mode where I'm like, oh wow, you can make all this money doing all this <laughs> stuff and I'm just like trying to figure out how to monetize everything yeah. that I, I sort of stopped investing in those friends as much but it's equally as important. Yeah. As I've grown up, um, a lot of a lot of friends that I have that are in relationships with men who seem more quote unquote alpha or aggressive or whatever, they were happier at first, and then time went on, and they realized like they had very little power in the relationship, yeah. and that they they realized that that was important to them, and we talked about this like they didn't have to work because it was an exchange when they first right. met. You know what I mean? Like I'm this attractive and he's super rich and you know, he has power and status and control and I'm attracted to that. And then years later you see same girl is like, I wanna find my passion and I wanna, you know, start a yeah. brand and do this and no idea where to start. So should should women care about this alpha beta thing? And is that because I also feel like there are men who are in between who have like, you know, alpha qualities, but they're also like really understanding and chill and like. I think it's a construct that's been made up. Okay. And um, what it means to be a man, which I think the old definition, it was a very traditional, right? You're strong, you don't cry. And like, we are seeing how fucked up <laughs> that way of thinking has caused guys to become and really losing touch with yourself because it's not fucking human. We all have yin and yang. We all have a range of emotions. And when you are a young child and you are um, a boy and you are taught that it is not okay and it is not safe to show these very human things about yourself, what happens is you associate like, oh, feeling, open, vulnerability, bad, painful, I won't survive. And so these same men grow up and they numb themselves and they have these different addictions and their vices and we're seeing the results. Like there's an epidemic of lonely single men, suicide, depression. So it's not working. And I used to be 
totally into like, okay, well, I want to be really feminine. You know, I read David Data's book and I was like, okay, I'm going to play my part so I can get that, you know, very alpha male and he has the money and I'll just write on the side for fun. And I will tell you, it did not fucking work. It blew up in my face. And um, I'm glad I did it. That's why I'm here. That's why I have breakup boot camp. Um, but I'm really of the the approach of not editing who you are in order to attract someone who's actually not right for you because it's eventually going to blow up. I have a friend of mine um, who struggled a lot with relationships and she's a very intense, strong personality. Like she'll come in and like everything just centers around her. And her whole life she's tried to be like, she hated these parts of herself because guys are like, you know, you're too loud, you're too much, you're too emotional, you're too fat, you're too this. And she did go through a lot of own personal work. She did ayahuasca, she came to break up boot camp. And she's now with a guy who is a bit more quiet, he's an engineer, and he loves those sides of her. All those parts that other guys that just weren't her fit tried to make her edit and change and shamed her for, he loves it because it compliments him. And so I think that's such a beautiful way to be. Um, and, and I think sometimes we edit ourselves without knowing, right? Like I think being a woman in the workforce, we have to become very like, you know, aggressive or whatever it is. And that's not actually ourselves either. So I think it's really, who are we really without all the defense mechanisms? And stop trying to put a square peg in a round hole. If they don't like you for those reasons, they're not your match. Amazing, you're filtering them out even faster. And remember, you're not just waiting to be chosen. You are choosing, you're actively choosing. You don't know if you want them. Yeah, and that's a more empowering message. But that's the other thing that I keep seeing is that like, you know, this narrative of why do we want women empowered when they're biologically programmed to be at home and nurture children and stuff like that, where it's like uh, the messaging to men, I feel like, is wrong. And then the messaging to women is wrong because we're just not living in those times anymore. Yeah. And, I, and I actually understand how it worked before. Yeah because women didn't have jobs and, and couldn't earn as much as men. So frankly, in those times, I'd rather be at home and taken mm -hmm. care of. Now that we can do so much more and you know, women are, are making more than they used to and being hired for jobs that they weren't even considered for before, now they do feel a little more empowered. And I feel like, I feel like some people are threatened by that when really they shouldn't be. Yeah. Why is that? Well, Money is control. <laughs> like, if you are paying for everything, I mean, I, I have not seen one of my friends who are in that situation where they have equal power and balance in that relationship. Like, the one who's paying for everything usually is the decision maker for things. And yeah, they can buy couture, but they still have to check in on like, oh, well, I don't know. It's very disempowering. And I've seen some of my female friends who were strong and independent, and I see them now, and they've kind of lost something, and they fill it up with buying stuff. Um, so I am a very, you know, maybe it worked back in the days of our parents and whatnot, and I've also seen that, how 
my mother was has continued to be in a relationship with a man that has been not that great. And if she had written a book and run a company and had a podcast, I will bet you she would have left him. Wow. You know? Yeah, I bet a lot of women would have left, you know, these abusive relationships. Not not that I'm saying hers was, but I'm just saying even worse than that, you know, where they don't have control, but they're literally, you know, with a narcissist or whatever. By the way, is narcissism that rampant? Because I see the word all the time, and then I've seen you know, tons of these coaches that devote their entire practice to helping um, to helping people get out of relationships with narcissists. Is this that prevalent? So if you look at the actual, like, disorder NPD, which is a personality disorder, yeah. um, the research now shows that it's not, it hasn't spiked, but it's very hard to diagnose NPD because people who have NPD typically are not going to seek help for therapy and whatnot. Um, there's also research that shows that as a society in America, um, we have become more narcissistic and there's a combination of like our social media culture, this whole thing, like self-care, everything's about me and how I feel. Um, so yeah, I think that, that this world that we're in right now breeds a sort of selfishness and arrogance. And I think it's it's on a scale. Like we all have a degree of narcissism, it's healthy. Um, and then it tips into like the dark personality traits of like when it kind of is off balance and you lack empathy and you will do anything to further your status or you know whatever it is that you want. So pretty prevalent then. <laughs> it is prevalent. And I think, you know, also we are now aware of certain things that we never had terminology for. Like. Um, so like, yeah, gaslighting, right? Like I think some people never heard of that until maybe the pandemic. Like, oh, that's what's happening. And so, yeah, I think that there's a positive thing of where we're learning these things and like, wait, that actually isn't right. I never had a word for it. Um, and the dark side of that is we can start to, you know, pathologize everyone like you have an avoidant attachment style you're a narcissist and like I don't think that's healthy either yeah I don't think it is I don't think it is what about I guess the younger generation like people that are that are in their teens now do you work with, with I, anybody I work with Gen Z not teens yeah, yeah yeah so I guess Gen Z is a perfect example do you feel like they're facing different challenges than what we faced um I think in dating there's, it's a little bit different. Like wow. even asking the question of like, who do you expect to pay? And it was really interesting where millennials are like, well, the guy should pay. And I still believe like, hey, I'm still old school that way. I like really appreciate like the first couple dates that the guy's buying a nice dinner. You know how much I, I spent just to look like this? A lot of money, okay. <laughs> um, and then I asked like some of these Gen Z clients and they're like, I'm not comfortable with that. I would like to pay my part and not feel I have obligation or I owe them um, or that because they bought me a drink that I have to give them attention. And it's just, it's really fascinating. And I think it's cool. Wow, yeah, that's super different. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's no girl that I know in, my, in our age range that I feel like would be cool with splitting the bill or anything like that. Like, I just don't know one now that I'm thinking about <laughs> it. But I but I get it, though. It's because we were taught that. Yeah, we have a money imprint. We have ideas of what that means. And, like, personally, the whole thing about paying is, and I'm like this with my friends, 
generosity is one of my top values because I'm super generous. So I, I'm very careful with who I let in my world because if you become my friend, you will have access to all of my stuff from the free stuff I get from being an influencer to my contacts to everything. And so if you are tit for tat or like what's mine is mine, um, that's going to cause me to have to change how generous I am and I don't want to do that. And so, yeah, for me, like just taking care of the bill, knowing that there's an abundance and like it's all going to work out means something to me. Um, that's why it matters. And I think it matters for different people in different ways. Today's episode of Beyond is brought to you by MoonPay. MoonPay is your portal to Web3 where you can transact with peers globally and own your digital identity. MoonPay makes it fast and simple to jumpstart your Web3 journey. Quickly use your debit or credit card to buy and sell crypto and purchase digital collectibles. Visit moonpay.com to get started. How accurate do you think love languages are and do you think they're super important in terms of choosing a partner? I, I think it's going to be very common that you're going to be with a partner who does not have the same love language, right? And like part of the dance of a partnership if it's a long-term partnership that you are looking for, is learning how to collaborate and negotiate on all these differences, whether it's love languages, whether it's communication styles, fighting styles, um, intimacy styles, like all of that stuff are the things that you're gonna have to go through. And so I think this idea that we wanna meet someone who's just like us is insane because you won't have polarity either. So yeah, okay, great. You guys like the same things. You have the same everything. Um, and guess what? Your sex life is probably going to be pretty barren. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> but we do that. Like we date, we're first drawn to someone because of the differences and because things are complementary. And then we get in, we're like, and then we start trying to change them to become us. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to date your clone. No, you don't want to date your clone. <laughs> so having differences is really important. I think having shared values, shared vision, um, an ability to move through time together. So you could be, you know, buying groceries and it's a, a good time to going on a crazy trip is a good time. Um, those are, when you look at the research, are the things that actually matter when it comes to feeling happy and satisfied in a long-term relationship. How yeah. important is chemistry and attraction and the right kind in, in a relationship? Because I'll say this, I think for me at least, if there, there isn't at least a minimal attraction at the beginning, mm -hmm. it's not going to grow. I'm not saying it needs to be like hot and heavy chemistry, but just that I need to find the person attractive period. Mm. How important is attraction? Because I have also heard stories completely different from my experience where the girl didn't like the guy at all, she was repulsed by him, whatever, and then over time that changed. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a, a lot of reasons for that. Um, so sometimes we intellectually don't know what type of connection it is, but there has to be some base of a connection. Um, when I tell you that story about that guy that I ended up feeling attraction towards after like seven months, what happened was because of what's called the mere exposure effect, we it amplifies the base feeling that's already there. So if it's disgust or annoyance and 
it's not it's going to amplify that. But if it was a connection with this guy um, specifically, um, his name is Carter in the book. Um, I enjoyed hanging out with him. I didn't understand why. I was like, oh yeah, like this is fun. I don't want to fuck you, but this is fun. And so just that alone shows that there's dopamine there because I'm motivated to want to see them again. And so I think that's important, right? We const there's chemistry with everyone. Like I have chemistry with you. Like I'm like, oh, I would love to hang out with you and have a dinner with you. And there's some people I'm like, okay, that's good, right? <laughs> that's good. Um, and so I, I think when we're too quick to be like, no, um, that can be problematic because we can get really used to doing that. And sometimes I think, especially when it comes to the first two dates, this is what I train the people I work, my clients is, you just want to ask yourself these two questions. Am I having fun? Do I want to see this person again? That is it. Not, are they going to be my future, you know, you know, dad of my baby? Are we going to have a <laughs> yoga retreat center in Bali? Like, none of that shit. Don't, try, don't even ask questions to try to place them in where they're going to be in your, this plan that you have in your head. Just focus on having fun and do I want to see them again? If you do, that means there's a connection. And sometimes a brain... Um, takes time to know, oh, this is a romantic connection. Oh, this is a platonic connection. Yeah. Okay, those are powerful. I'm personally going to write those down. <laughs> yeah. I actually have like a whole dating worksheet and basically like after a date, you look and I have you have my clients rate from zero to 10 being 10 was like, I want to rip your clothes off to zero, like disgust. It's very hard for people to bounce back from disgust. Um, but if it's a five, or above in terms of connection, it warrants a second date. Okay, fair. Yeah, I'll send you the. I'll send yeah, you the I'm, I'm. I'm gonna need that. <laughs> um, I feel like I should also like link it somewhere. Sure. And send other people to yeah. it. Yeah. Because I feel like everyone could benefit from this. Yeah. Nobody teaches us how to date. You yeah. know, we're just winging it. Yeah. The appropriate word. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm like. You know, and I've I've created a system and a framework that I swear works. Like I, I'd say 70% of my clients end up in a relationship um, if they do what I tell them to do in this kind of framework that I've created. And um, a lot of us are, we just have some blinders and um, we're in it so we don't know. But when you kind of remove some of those blockages, like the love is around you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we certainly have it with our own friends. Why can't we find it romantically? Yeah. You know? There's a question that I ask everybody at the end of each episode. It's the same question. Um, but I ask it because I feel like it's so hard for us to put the messages that we think are important, I guess, in order of what most urgently needs to be said. Because obviously, you know... I could talk to you for hours and you'll have so many things to say to me that you think are important. And how do you determine what's something that everyone needs to hear? So I came up with a scenario uh, to help with that. So you're at the Oscars and you win an award for say, a documentary about breakups. Mm -hmm. And you hear your name you've won the award. You go up to the stage, you thank everybody you need to thank, your parents, your boyfriend, Neil Strauss. <laughs> um, and then there's that 45 second to one minute window where you, you get to say whatever you want 
and it's going to be recorded, put on YouTube, there's going to be headlines. What message is so important to you that you're going to use that time to say it? Whoa. <laughs> Deep. Um, I would say... Um, Focus on building your inner foundation. And I think that's having a healthy relationship with emotions. It is not basing your validation, your identity, your self-worth on any one thing or even a bunch of external things. Because regardless if you are extremely successful and you've sold many companies or you've had five children, at the end, like, it's all about your ability to be your own well of peace and joy and acceptance. And that doesn't mean that life isn't gonna be hard. It doesn't mean that you're not going to feel heartbroken or deal with grief. But instead of seeing those things as things that are destroying you, you just go like, oh, I'm just broadening, I'm just expanding my emotional range. And you just have an inner knowing that even if you lose a job or the relationship or, you know, your, your skin starts to sag or you're, you know, you gain some weight that internally you've always got that. And I think that's a source of power that no one and nothing can ever take away from you. And when you have that, you make decisions in a very different way. I love that. That's yeah. so powerful. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. Thank you for coming <gasps> on the so show. Fun. This was so Thank great. You. Thank you. Today's episode of Beyond is brought to you by MoonPay. MoonPay is your portal to Web3 where you can transact with peers globally and own your digital identity. MoonPay makes it fast and simple to jumpstart your Web3 journey. Quickly use your debit or credit card to buy and sell crypto and purchase digital collectibles. Visit moonpay.com to get started.